Good morning. Good to see you. So glad to see you. We are in the midst of a series that to me has been one of the most important series we've done since I've been here, almost four years. And that is what we're calling it simply is Royals, Becoming Who We Are. And the reason why I love this series so much is it's about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. And over the years, I have just more and more valued and appreciated and see how this whole truth of who we are in Christ, the Apostle Paul uses that little phrase many, many, many times throughout the New Testament, who we are in Christ, our identity, is key and core to almost every decision, every way we think about life, every relationship that we have is deeply affected by our identity. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have confessed your sin and acknowledged Christ as your Savior, then the things that we're talking about in this series is true about us, every single one of us. So let me talk to you about what your identity is not. Your identity is not the sum of what other people think and say about you. You know, it's really sad that we can let people define us. We shouldn't do that. We are not the sum of our accomplishments, nor are we the sum of all of our failures. Praise God. What does God say about us? Who does God say that we are? This is week five of our series. Kondo launched this series a number of weeks ago, just talking about this issue of identity. And what we have seen over the last several weeks is, and what we're doing is kind of giving you names or titles of who we are in Christ. So we talked about the fact that we are forgiven. You can buy the t-shirt. Forgiven. We are forgiven. One of the most incredible things when you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, He does that. He promises and He does. And we are forgiven. And one of the incredible, beautiful truths of the Word of God is He doesn't just forgive you what you did today, He forgives us for what we did in the past. And His blood covers our sins in the future. Isn't that incredible? That's the extent of the cross work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you're forgiven. The next week, we looked at the fact that we are called. I think one of the most important things in life for me, and I hope for you as well, is to say, God, how do you want me to live my life? How have you gifted me? What kind of opportunities and personalities? Even my background, Lord, that makes a difference, I believe your word says, about how I'm supposed to live my life, and even what your plan and purpose is for me. And we kind of piggybacked on that last week when we talked about our third word, and that's the word purposeful. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Kind of did a wonderful job talking about the fact that we are God's handiwork. Other translation, we are God's masterpiece. Actually, I should tell you this. That Greek word is the word poema. We are God's poem. That's what that word means. We are God's creative expression of who he is. That's who we have become through Christ. I have a word for us this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. You can start heading there if you have your Bible with you. But here's the word. 
probably not one you use in everyday conversation. Reconciled. And some of you say, reckon what? Reconciled. Isn't that a great churchy word? Isn't that a great theological word? We are reconciled. And you have to say, we are reconciled to God. That's who we are. I want to give you a definition of this word. I'll use the the noun form as reconciliation. Reconciliation occurs when a broken relationship is restored. Reconciliation occurs when a relationship that is broken is restored. Now, probably all of us, probably all of us, at one point or another, have had a broken relationship with somebody in our lives who is important to us. It very well may be a family member. It very well may be somebody who was your best friend. And something happened, and there was a deep hurt. There was a deep offense. And as a result of that, the relationship was different in a very bad way. That relationship needed to be reconciled. Hopefully it has been. It still can be if that person's alive. You know what it's like. You have felt it. I have felt it. A person who once you were just so close to, you loved dearly, something happened. And either there's avoidance or there's harsh words when words are spoken. It is not the relationship it was. I'll tell you one of the saddest things that I experienced as a pastor over the years when I've been at funerals or officiated funerals, especially during the calling hours, to find out that there are brothers and sisters who are now at grandma's funeral, grandpa's funeral, and they haven't talked to one another for 30 years. That's a broken relationship. That's a tragic relationship. That relationship needs to be reconciled. You want to know how reconciliation happens? Somebody's got to take the first step. Somebody has to be courageous enough and humble enough to go to the other person and say, I think it's time. Will you forgive me? Oh, so often those, we would choke on those words, wouldn't we? Because 99.9% of the fault was theirs. We can think, probably not. Would you forgive me? And some of you experience the incredible beauty I have of somebody saying, of course, will you forgive me? That is one of the most beautiful moments in life, my friends. And it's even better when you say, can I give you a hug? (laughs) Let's seal the deal and hug each other. How about that? That, my friends, is reconciliation. And it's so beautiful because the passage this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 talks about reconciliation and specifically people, sinners, like every single one of us, need to be reconciled to God. Let me begin. Words will also be up on the screen. 
2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Reconciliation. What I want to share with you this morning as we kind of walk through these verses together are four what I'm calling realities, four realities for those who have been reconciled to God through Christ. These are beautiful. These are amazing. And I hope they're a blessing to you. Now, some of you may be saying, reconciled to God. I thought God loved everybody. What do you mean, reconciled to God? Well, uh, as they say, Houston, we have a problem. You and I have a problem. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, starting with a couple by the name of Adam. You know his wife's name? Eve. Good for you. Adam and Eve, the very first two people who were born. Now, they were born without sin. They were born, they got to occupy God's new created world. They got to have dominion over it and rule over it. Life was amazing. Life was beautiful. And then Satan, in the form of a serpent, tempted Adam and Eve. Many of you know this story. And Adam and Eve had been given a strict command not to eat from a certain tree, and they ate from that tree. And we're told in Genesis chapter 3 that they fell into sin, and there was now a marred and estranged relationship from God. Their relationship with God was profoundly affected by their disobedience and by their sin. And at that point... They began to die physically, spiritually. Death entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. So why do we need to be reconciled to God? Because we inherited their sin nature, right? Every single one of us who have ever lived on this earth apart from Jesus Christ is a sinner. We have fallen short of God's standard. We have fallen short of God's holy perfection, and therefore, our relationship with God needs to be reconciled. That's why this is such an important, important topic for us to look at. So that's what the Apostle Paul is writing about. Let me go back and, and to verse 17. Start there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new 
is here. NIV says it differently than some of us have maybe even memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I read that verse, and it's like, wow. Salvation, giving your life to Christ, becoming a Christian is so much more than just, I get to go to heaven. I'm glad we get to go to heaven. That's fantastic. That's just the starting point. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we're a new creation. Here's my first reality I want to talk to you about. It's this idea of transformation. Transformation. That's what he's talking about. We are changed forever when we ask Christ to forgive us of our sins and we become children of God. We are changed forever. The idea is transformed forever. How are we transformed? I mean, when I gave my life to Christ, I don't think I looked any different a moment later. A whole lot changed. A whole lot, I hope, for you has changed. I mean, let's just start with the whole way I look at life. I learned very early because I started to read my Bible and I had some people disciple me and I was one of those blessed people. I came to know Christ just before I turned 19. By the way, I always like to say this. I'm one of those people who knows my spiritual birthday. I remember the date and the moment I got saved, and I am coming up on a spiritual birthday. March 30th, 1975, it'll be 47 years that I have walked with Jesus, and I can't imagine my life without him. And some of you will say the same. And I believe he changed me when I gave my life to him. That's why this passage, and I hope that's true with you too, that's why this passage says, if anyone's in Christ, we're a new creation. We're different. The whole way we look at life, we no longer live to serve ourselves. We live to serve him, to glorify him, to honor him in our lives. That's what the Christian life is about, my friends. It's not, hey, God, I'm gonna do my own thing. You better bless it. Absolutely not. I mean, before I came to know Christ, it was all about my thing. It was about what I was going to do. You know, being a a freshman in college, like, so what's your major? What are you going to do? It's like, uh, I don't know. I guess get a degree and get a job and get married and have a job and retire and die, which sounded really rotten to me, really boring to me. And then I found out that God has a purpose and plan for my life as a Christian. Old things have passed away. All things have become new through Christ. I started speaking more nicely. My attitudes begin to shift and change, and hopefully this has been true for all of us because it says if anyone's in Christ, we're a new creation. This is not just for a handful of people. We are all to be different and transformed. Now, periodically, and let me say this, and there is no judgment in what I'm going to say, but let me just say it because I think it's important for me to say. Periodically, I talk to people, and I, we kind of start talking maybe about spiritual things, and I find out in my discussion with them that uh, there's just no interest in the things of the Lord, Or maybe I have people talking to me about their parents or whoever it might be. Just no interest in things of the Lord. Never talk about Jesus. Nothing's different in their life. Never go to church. Never read their Bible. There's just no interest in those things. I don't want to be judgmental here, but here's what I want to say. 
There are people who have said to me, well, back when I was in high school at a youth retreat, one night they said, hey, come forward and ask um, to accept Christ as your Savior. We're asking you to do that. And people say, yeah, I did that. Or a number of years ago, actually a number of decades ago, Sunday morning, they had this thing where you can walk down the aisle and, and ask Jesus to be your Savior, and I did that. And yet, nothing is different. Nothing is different. Zero change in their lives. And what I struggle to do is reconcile that with what this verse says. If anyone's in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That sounds like there should be a big difference, doesn't it? So here's my question. Out of deep love and concern, do you think it's appropriate to say to that person who has shown zero interest in Christ for maybe decades, zero interest in change of life whatsoever, no interest in anything like the Bible or learning or church or anything, to wonder if their salvation is real? to be willing to get, get up the courage to go to them with humility, with love, and say, I'm concerned, and I just want to ask you, have you truly trusted Jesus as your Savior? Have you truly asked him to forgive you? And some of you are saying to me in your heads right now, I do that with my mom. I do that with my dad. If I were to do that with my brother, man, you talk about needing reconciliation. That person would be so furious with me and think I am so judgmental and to even insinuate maybe they're not a Christian. You know what? We're new creations. Transformation is supposed to be our reality. How much? I don't know. How about just a little? Maybe the Spirit of God is bringing something, someone to your mind. Because as I prepared this message, the Lord brought some of my family members to my mind. And it's like maybe there was something that happened years ago, zero fruit, as we say, zero change. If anyone is in Christ, there's supposed to be change, right? There's supposed to be transformation. Is it worth risking getting a little blowback to say I'm concerned about your spiritual condition to a loved one, to somebody you care about. I think it is. I hope you'll pray about that, especially if the Lord's brought somebody to your mind. It's not offensive. I hope if it's something that, I mean, it's eternity at stake. It's eternity at stake, isn't it? Isn't that what you read in your Bible? What a person does with the offer of Jesus Christ? Transformation, my friends. It's what reconciliation is all about. Okay, let me jump in. Keep going. Verses 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I love this. He talks about the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. This points to the second reality I wanted to mention, along with transformation, when you've been reconciled, declaration should be a part of your life. We are gospel proclaimers. We are to share the message of Christ. Declaration. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about things in my life that happen that I get super, super, super excited about that are really important to me, I want to tell people. I mean, when you have some really incredibly good news, don't you want to tell people? And those of us that are more extroverted and big mouth like me, I am both, I want to tell people. I assume everybody everybody wants to hear my good news. You know, it's kind of like the young couple. I love it. This happens with a lot of young couples. I was very obnoxious when I got engaged because I was super in love with Kathy, my almost 43-year wife now. And it's like, hey, hon, when the server comes back to bring us our food, just kind of flash your ring, okay? So that I can say, we're engaged. We're engaged. It's so much fun to share your news, your exciting news. And I was beyond obnoxious when we were expecting our first child. I'm just saying, I was. It's like, I just assume everybody wanted to know. Of course you want to know we're having a baby. I mean, this doesn't happen very often to us. You know, we're having a baby. And I I mean, I was pretty obnoxious. Kathy would absolutely say amen to that. She was in first service, so. But anyway, it's kind of like, shout it. Shout it from the rooftop. You know, go to a football game and, and, well, there's not much quiet at football game, but just, Hey, get rowdy. We're having a baby. You know, tell them that. Or maybe even do it in the library. There's, that, that'll work. You'll get kicked out, but some people will think you're pretty hilarious and disruptive. Who cares? My point is this. When we have really good news. By the way, don't you seek out certain people when you have great news? The people who just like will go crazy with you. Like, aren't those some of the best people on the planet? Who, when they hear their news, they don't say, well, we have a baby too, you know? No, the people who go crazy with you, the people who get excited with you, share your joy. You know, that's even biblical. Rejoice with those who what? Rejoice. Yeah, let's get excited with each other. Well, how about if you have, and if you're a believer, you do, the very message of eternal life? Why aren't we more excited about sharing that with people? And I will point my finger at me. No accusation towards you. I'm just saying, guys, this is the message of life. Don't you think one of Satan's greatest tools against us is to just so make us so, so very passive and so consumed with all the other things and all the other worries, like whether or not your football team is going to draft who you want them to draft, you know, the things that really matter in life or what you're going to have for lunch then a person who doesn't know Christ will spend eternity apart from him. Declaration. 
What do you declare? What do I declare? What do you and I get excited about? So excited that we just have to tell other people, even if they don't want to hear. Ask the Spirit of God to stir you up, to see people who are lost with the eyes of Jesus. I have to do that. I don't do that naturally because I tend to be really consumed with my day and my agenda and my life and my stuff. And yet I interact every day. Most of us interact every day with people who are lost. And we're supposed to share this message. There is reconciliation with God. There is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That is not just Paul's ministry. That is our ministry as well. Declaration. Okay, let's jump over to verse 20. Verse 20 goes on. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Ambassadors. We are his representation. That's our third reality. We are his representation. We live as ambassadors of Jesus. Now, let me give you a definition of ambassador. By the way, and I have my reference up here. I'm going to give you a definition of ambassador. One of my favorite websites, I use it a lot, is called gotquestions.org. Recommend it to you, gotquestions.org. Ask any Bible question you can think of. Well over 100,000 answers to Bible questions are on that website. I love it. I use it a lot. I do. And so I looked up the word ambassador, um, and I want to share it with you. Here it is, ambassador, an official acting as a keyword representative of a nation. Being sent to a foreign land, the ambassador's role is to reflect the official position of the sovereign body that gave him or her authority. What's the key idea right here? The key idea is representative. An ambassador is a representative. That's the point. Let me give you three additional characteristics of ambassadors. Number one, an ambassador lives in a foreign nation among people who are different than them in language, in culture, in traditions. Number two, ambassadors speak for their country and its leaders. They never speak for themselves. Okay? Number three, they represent a country and its leadership to the point that countries are judged by the ambassadors. What we know about you is what we know through your ambassador is the point. Now, as I I looked at these points, I thought, okay, does that translate for Christians? Absolutely. Absolutely. They live in a foreign nation among people who are different in language, culture, and traditions. Do you know where our citizenship ultimately is as Christians? Heaven. We are citizens of heaven, the Bible tells us. Paul and Peter, on numerous occasions, refer to us as strangers and aliens on this earth. We are different. This, you know, the old hymn, some of you know the old hymn, this world is not my own, I'm just what? 
just the passing through, this world is not my home. We're ambassadors for Christ. We represent a different kingdom than those who don't know Christ. Secondly, he says, they speak for their country and its leaders, not for themselves. One of the biggest things about being a Christ follower is I live for Jesus. My opinion is not about my opinion. My opinion is about what does God say? (laughs) I don't live for myself. It's not about my dreams and my plans and my will. It's about his. We're told that we have been hidden in Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Your and my life is to glorify and point to Jesus Christ. That's part of our ambassadorship. And the number three, ambassadors represent a country and its leadership to the point that the countries are judged by their ambassadors. People don't see Jesus face to face in the flesh right now, but they see us. We are his representatives. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are to be Christ to people who don't know him. That's the point. Are we reflecting Christ well? Are we good ambassadors? Representing Jesus, not ourselves. You know, often people, when they think of ambassadors, it's like, oh, ambassadors. I mean, I see them on TV. You know, it's like they're very polished and statesmanlike and, you know, articulate and educated. And they're all of these things. That's not me, people would say. Paul uses the word ambassador about himself in one other passage in the New Testament. I found this to be incredibly helpful. It's over in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And here's what he wrote. He said, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Look at this. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. An ambassador in chains? Huh. Oh, Where was the Apostle Paul when he wrote the book of Ephesians? Anybody know? Prison. Prison. He was a prisoner. And yet he refers to himself still as an ambassador. Hey, man, I'm chained to some guards. I'm talking to them about Jesus. I'm going to still live out my ambassadorship role here. So it's not necessarily that you have to be some, you know, polished educated superstar by any means to be an ambassador. We are. We represent Christ. That's who we are. And that's an incredible privilege and a great honor that you and I have. I wanted to, I wanted to share real quickly, just a real quick with my brothers here. I guess it feels a little bit like a commercial break for a moment. But I want to share with some of the men in the church. We have a, a men's ministry here called Point Men. And on April 23rd, we have an event called Arise with the Guys. I'm sharing this because God wants you to be an ambassador. <laughs> Arise with the guys. So it's breakfast. It's a Saturday morning. It's breakfast. And then we are simulcasting a huge nation, national event based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Tony Dungy, some of you know that name, is the creator of this event where he has 
professional athletes share their, their testimony and their love for Jesus Christ. And it, guys, is an amazing opportunity. It's kind of our primary outreach event for our men's ministry this year for you to bring men who aren't churched, maybe don't know the Lord, from work, from your community, from whoever you might know, maybe even family members, to come and get to hear the gospel shared in a way that is going to be really, really powerful. You can register April 23rd, Saturday morning. I want to move on, and let's look at verse 21. One of the most amazing verses in Scripture about our Lord's sacrifice. It said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God here is referring to God the Father. Him is referring to Jesus Christ, the one who had no sin. Here's the point. Jesus Christ took our place. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He was perfect to be sin, to be the bearer of God's wrath for the sins of the world. That's the point. That's who Jesus was on the cross. Cross. That was the essence, my friend, of the cross. It was Jesus paying our penalty that we deserved. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You know, if the verse stopped there, that would be amazing. But it doesn't stop there. This, this is a mind-blowing thought. You see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you, yes, you become forgiven. You will spend eternity with God. Amazing. Did you see part two? That we might become the righteousness of God. We don't just walk away forgiven. We walk away from this experience righteous in God's eyes. Isn't that mind-blowing? Righteous in God's eyes. Theologians like to call this the great exchange. Jesus took on our penalty for sin. We got his righteousness. We got his righteousness. So this is my fourth aspect that I simply call substitution. Jesus did this in our place for us. Substitution. So when you're reconciled with God, that's what you and I receive. So as I wrap up this morning, let me begin by asking any of you who are with us, who aren't sure where you are with God spiritually. You know, I mentioned about my spiritual birthday coming up in three days. Uh, A young man knocked on my door, my dorm room door, came in, did a, a quick survey, and then he asked me the question very point blank, do you think you're going to go to heaven? My response was probably pretty typical for a lot of people who don't know Christ. I said, boy, I sure hope I've been good enough. And he nicely said, oh, you haven't been. Because <laughs> none of us have been. And then he shared with me that God loves me, has a plan for my life. Christ died for my sins. If I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, he'll forgive me of my sins, give me a new life. 
And it took me two months wrestling with God until March 30th, 1975, Easter morning, I completely gave my life to Christ and was reconciled with God. And a lot of changes began. Praise him for that. And maybe this morning, you're kind of where I was. Hope I've been good enough. Or maybe it's kind of like, well, years ago, I kind of did something that sounds like that prayer to receive Christ, but I don't know if it didn't take. I don't know what's going on. You can make sure. This morning before you leave, you can even bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, from my heart, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Forgive me. Give me your new life. I'll follow you from this point on. I know many of us have made that decision, praise God. But then all of us, if we've made that decision, are ambassadors for Christ. How's your ambassadorship going? Need to be improved a bit? Do we need to step up a bit? We are Christ's representatives to the world. So maybe that's the commitment this morning. Lord Jesus, my testimony has not been what it needs to be. Man, I'm your ambassador. I'm your representative at work, in my community, in my neighborhood. My kid's soccer team, fill in the blank. Lord, help me to reflect the love, the grace, the goodness of Jesus. Maybe that's your prayer. I'm going to pray And we're going to have a handful of our elders, some of our prayer team people come forward. We love to have people here up front because sometimes the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts. Sometimes there's other things going on in our lives where we would just love somebody to take a moment and pray with us. We'll be available to do that. Thanks, Father, for your word, your truth. Thank you so much that you were the one who made the first step, the first move to reconcile us to yourself. You sent your son who left the glories of heaven, became a man, a human in flesh, and then died on the cross for us. We marvel at that, and yet we want to embrace it with our whole hearts. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, that commitment, may we represent you well before a world that needs to see Jesus through us. Father, bless my brothers and sisters, our dear friends who are with us today. I just pray, Lord, that we would um, take to heart whatever your Holy Spirit has been prompting us, saying to us through your word today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.